Reading of Influence by Robert B. Cialdini. Our brain loves shortcuts, and they can be used to manipulate us. Turkey mothers are wonderful parents, loving, protective, and nurturing of their young. However, look at little, look a little more closely, and you'll see that this tenderness hangs by a single thread. If a chick emits the distinctive chip chip sound, the mother will care for it long, lovingly. But if the chick does not, the mother will ignore or even kill it. The chip-chip sound is so persuasive that even a replica of the turkey's arch-nemesis, the polecat, will elicit tender care from the mother turkey as long as it chips loudly. For the mother turkey, the sound is a simple shortcut that allows her to quickly and in most cases, reliably identify its chicks, triggering its maternal instincts. instincts. We humans like to think of ourselves as clever, which is why the mother turkey's shortcut can be seem quite foolish to us. But the fact, but the fact is that we use very similar psychol psychological shortcuts as well. This is due to simple necessity. The world is a complex place where it's impossible for us to reflect upon the details of every decision we make. Thus, we use quick shortcuts and most of the time they will serve us well. One example of such a shortcut is that we are much more willing to do people a favor if they provide us with a reason, any reason. Next, in an experiment to study this phenomenon, a researcher asked people queuing up to use a copy machine whether she could skip the line. She found that if she gave a reason, may I skip the line because I'm in a rush? 94% of people complied with her request. If she gave no reason, only 60% complied. But fascinatingly, if she gave a nonsensical reason, may I skip the line because I need to make copies, 93% still complied. Apparently, people have a mental shortcut that deems any reason at all sufficient to grant a favor. More worryingly, just as scientists can trick a turkey into mothering a stuffed polecat, so-called compliance professionals like advertisers, salesmen and con artists can fool us into using our shortcuts against our own interests. They usually do this to get us to comply with their demands for example, to buy a product. One example is the commonly abused price indicates quality shortcuts. 
people usually assume expensive items are of higher quality than cheap ones. And while this shortcut is often, often, at least partially accurate, a wheelie salesman might well use it against us. For example, did you know that souvenir shops often sell unpopular goods by raising rather than lowering their prices? Since dealing with the complexities of life means having to rely on shortcuts, we must identify and defend ourselves against the manipulators who will trick us into wrongly using those shortcuts, lest we end up looking as foolish, looking as foolish as the poor mother turkey. The following links will introduce you to six basic psychological principles that use that we use as shortcuts and which can be exploited for persuasion reciprocation 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 scarcity consistency social proof liking and authority Humans have an overpowering need to return favors. Has anyone ever given you something on the street like a flower or a free sample of something? The waiters at restaurants occasionally bring complimentary sweets along with your bill. As innocent as these gestures, gestures may seem, they are actually relative, relatively simple tricks to influence your behavior. You see, the first psycho psychological principle of persuasion is the rule of reciprocation. 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 We feel obliged to return favors. This rule forms the foundation of all societies, for it allowed our ancestors to share resources safe in the knowledge that they would be reciprocated 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 later and if someone do as a favor and we don't we don't return it we feel a psychological burden this is partially because as a society we are disdainful of those who do not reciprocate favors. We label them as moochers or ingrates and fear being labeled as such ourselves. How intense is the desire to reciprocate? Well, it can it can be it can even be seen in the long-term relations between countries. Consider that in 1985, Ethiopia was probably one of the worst off countries in the world, ravaged by poverty, starvation and disease. And yet, in that year, the country's Red Cross sent $5,000 to aid earthquake victims in Mexico City. Why would this de desperately improvised country send money to another faraway land. Simple, in 1935 
when Italy invaded Ethiopia. Mexico had sent aid to the country, and this was an opportunity to return the favor. In fact, people are so keen to rid themselves of the burden of reciprocity. Reciprocity. That they will often perform much larger favors in return for small ones. For example, in 1971, study by psychologist Dennis Reagan, a researcher, Joe, masqueraded as a fellow participant and bought test subjects a 10 cent coke as an unbidden favor. Later on, it turned out that Joe needed a favor. He was trying to sell as many raffle tickets as possible to win a prize. Would the subjects help him out buying some? On average, the subjects who had received the unbidden coke reciprocated by purchasing 50 cents worth of tickets, twice the amount compared to if no coke was given. The feeling of indebtedness, the feeling of indebtedness, indebtedness, even seemed to outweigh likability. Some of the participants bought Joe's raffle tickets even though they said they did not like him. Obviously, this was an example of abusing this reciprocity principle because Joe was the only one making truly free choices in this situation. He not only forced adapt onto the subjects by buying them a coke, but also shows the method of of reciprocation. In the 70s, the Krishna organization in the United States also used this tactic to great effect. They gift flowers to passersby on the street and thought generally and though generally annoyed, people often made donations to the organization to satisfy their need to reciprocate the gift of the flower. So, how can you fight back? As stated earlier, reciprocity plays a fundamental role in the way societies and social relationships work. So you can forego the principle entirely, but you can learn to identify and resist deliberate attempts to abuse it. Start by getting into the habit of asking yourself if the favors you receive are really genuine, genuine, or if they could be attempts to manipulate you. Think about whether you actually want to donate your money to that non-profit organization or if you only feel obliged because they handed you a gift on the street. And don't worry about not reciprocating favors that are really manipulation attempts in disguise. Favors warrant favors in return, but tricks do not.
In negotiations, starting with an outrageous request and retreating from there can win concessions. Just as we desire to pay back favors when we are negotiating with someone and they make a concession, we'll feel obliged to reprocate it. This is known as the rejection then retreat strategy. The author experienced this firsthand when a boy scout approached him on the street wishing to sell him tickets to the annual boy scout circus. The author declined to buy the $5 ticket, after which the boy asked if seeing as how he wasn't buying any tickets, he would at least buy some chocolate bars for a dollar apiece. As a result, the author the author found himself buying two in order to match the concession the, mo- the boy made when he retreated to peddling the cheaper wares. What makes rejection then retreat such a powerful persuasion technique? is that, in addition to evoking our desire to reciprocate concessions, it also benefits from the contrast principle. When two items are presented to us, one after the other, the difference of the second to the first is magnified. Thus, the $1 chocolate bar the boy offered him disproportionately cheap compared to the more expensive circus tickets. The dynamic is fairly simple to put to use. If you want something specific from a negotiation partner, start with an offer they are pretty sure to reject. Then retreat from your initial offer to what you really want. Your opponent will probably see this as as a concession and feel obliged to make a similar one. This strategy is often employed by labor negotiators, who start with the extreme positions and then gradually retreat while extracting concessions from the other side. However, researchers have discovered that there is a limit to how extreme your opening position can be. If it's outrageous, you'll be seen as a bad faith negotiator and subsequent Subsequent concessions will not be reciprocated. The rejection then retreat strategy has even brought down presidents such as infamous Watergate scandal. In 1972, in 1972, the re-election of President Richard Nixon seemed inevitable. Yet somehow, a man called G. Gordon Lee managed to convince the committee to re-elect the president, that they should give him $250,000 to burglarize the office of the Democratic National Committee. This was proposedly proposed to Preposterously, preposterously, 
risky undertaking, but Levy used the rejection then retreat strategy. He started by suggesting a $1 million scheme involving kidnapping, mugging, and prostitution. Though his later second and third proposals were still scandalous and incredibly ill-conceived, the CRP felt they had to give Liddy something for his concessions from his first scheme, also compared to the initial outrageous $1 million proposal. The $250,000 scheme involving mere burglary no longer sounded that bad. As you probably know, the burglars were caught and the resulting scandal eventually forced Nixon to resign. When opportunities become scarce, we desire them more. For a limited time only, last chance, sale ends in two days. There's a reason advertisers often emphasize that the sale won't last forever. According to the scarcity principle, when something is hard to obtain, it makes us more inclined to buy it. We humans see opportunities as more valuable if their availability is limited and this seems to be because we just plain hate missing out. A 1982 study by one of Cialdini's students showed that when shoppers were told of a limited time sale on meat they bought three times more than if there was no time limit. Interestingly, this effect was compounded when people were told that only select few knew about the sale. The scarcity of both the offer and the information itself made shoppers buy six times more meats than customers unaware of either limits. So when does scarcity become a powerful influence on our decision making? Two conditions need to be fulfilled. First, we tend to want something more if its its availability has decreased recently than if if it has remained steady over time. This is why revolutions tend to happen when living conditions deteriorate sharply rather than when they are consistently low. The sudden drop increases people's desire for something better, so they take to the streets. Second, competition always sets out hearts racing. Whether in auctions, romances, or real estate deals, the thought of losing something to a rival often turns us from reluctant to overzealous. This is why, for example, 
real estate agents often mention to buyers that several other bidders are also interested in a given house, whether true or not. In fact, a competitive situation can induce a feeding frenzy for a scarce good. Even among seasoned, seasoned negotiators, take the story of Barry Diller, an executive at the TV network ABC, who was considered a mogul for his success in the entertainment industry. But then, in 1973, he paid $3.3 million for the right to show the movie The Poison Adventure on TV once. This was the highest amount ever paid for a one-time showing of a film, and ABC later estimated it would lose a million dollars on this deal. So, uh, so why on earth did Diller pay this unprecedented amount? Simple. This was the first time the rights were sold to networks in an open bid auction, where the competitors' bids were visible to each other. This pushed the buyers into an irrational bidding war, and when the dust settled, ABC's competitors were actually relieved they hadn't won. Meanwhile, Diller grimly, grimly stated that ABC would never participate in such an auction again. To counter the e eagerness that arises from scarcity, we should always consider whether we want the item in question because of its use to us, for example, its taste or function, or merely, 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 because of an irrational wish to possess it. When scarcity is being used against us, the answer will often be the later. Banning something makes it very desirable. You know the old adage that people only want what they can't have? Well, there is some truth to it. Truth. There is some truth to it. Parents, for example, often observe this phenomenon in their children. A toy will immediately become far, far more attractive if a child is expressly forbidden from playing with it. This effect is prevalent in the adult world too. In the adult, adult world too. And it is why censorship is such a double-edged sword. sword. When information is banned, it is perceived as more valuable than if it were freely avail available. For example, a study conducted in the 1970s at the University of North Carolina showed that when college students were told that speech opposing to co-ed dorms 
was to be cancelled and banned on campus, they became more sympathetic to the idea. And this without having heard a single word of the speech. Similarly, courtroom research indicates that juries are also influenced by censored information. It has long been known that when juries know that an insurance company will pay the bill, they tend to award larger damages to plaintiffs. Interestingly, though, they award even higher damages if they are expressly told by the judge to ignore the fact that the defendant has insurance. The forbidden information seems more relevant to them and makes them overreact, just like a forbidden toy seems immensely desirable to any child. And this applies to other things other things and information too. Just consider the example of Dade County, Florida. When it declared laundry detergents containing phosphates to be illegal, not only did residents be begin smuggling and hoarding masses of the product, but they also started to see phosphate phosphate phosphate-based detergents as better than before. This pining for banished is known as the Romeo and Juliet effect, so named because parents who erect barriers to hinder the romantic relationships of their children often only manage to deepen their lovers' attraction. One study of Colorado couples found that when the parents tried to interfere with their relationship, feelings of love and desire for marriage only intensified. When the interference was lessened, romantic feelings, feelings tended to cool off too. Just like the case with scarcity, the Romeo and Juliet effect also stems from the fact that Humans really hate losing opportunities.